This week, we're going to be talking about the president. Well, a president. It's Schmanners. Hello, Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And you're listening to Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. For ordinary occasion. Hello, hello, BB. Also, <laughs> BB's here. Also, BB's here. Hello, my dove. How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you, dear? You know, doing all right. It's the end of, a, end of another long week of podcasting. And, you know, also just life. You know, life. <laughs> How are you? How are you? I'm doing well. Um, I really enjoyed... Prepping for this one, it was it was quite nice, quite uh, pleasant. Oh, that's good. Okay. Hmm. Are you, was researching compliments unpleasant? No. Okay. But um, you know, sometimes you just get a little bit of news burnout. Mm-hmm. And what you really want to do is delve into a good book. And where did we get this good book from? Um, it was sent to us by a fan. <gasps> what? Um, unfortunately, I was unable to discern who sent it to us. A mystery. It's a a delicious mystery. But you know what? If you send me a book about somebody, I'm probably going to do it on the show. (laughs) Well, well, we're going to be flooded with books. That's fine. Books are great. So here it is. Um, I was sent George Washington's Rules of Civility and Decent Behavior in Company and in Conversation. Wait, George, George Washington... George Washington, like the president? Yes. And this is a book about etiquette. Yes. The president. Yes. Wrote a book about manners. Yes. Well, he didn't write it. He copied it down. Mm-hmm. We'll talk all about this. But another really interesting thing is it has an introduction and some um, some notes written by Letitia Baldridge, who is, is quoted on the, the front of the book as America's etiquette expert. Now, can I tell you, Travis, I had not heard of Letitia Baldridge. But have you now? I have. Up until that moment, did you think you were America's <laughs> etiquette expert? Was well, this I, heartbreaking for you? I haven't been published, so probably not. I, I did see. not think it was I. But I thought perhaps it might be, you know, Judith Martin or um, Emily Post. But, yeah. But not. Okay. Uh, or, you know, she she seems to be one of America's etiquette experts. Mm-hmm. Letitia Tish Baldridge uh, was an American etiquette expert who was also a, a PR executive. Um, and she was an author. She wrote a ton of books. She is most famous for serving as Jackie Kennedy's social secretary. Oh, all right. Amazing. Um so her little moniker, instead of Miss Manners, is Doyen of Decorum. Excuse me? Doyen of Decorum. Spell Doyen for me. D-O-Y-E-N-N-E. You always make me do this. It's just a word I've never heard before. I like learning new words, <laughs> Teresa. Um, so she published about 20 books. Um, one of those being updating Amy Vanderbilt's Complete Book of Etiquette, which we have discussed before. Mm -hmm. Um, She was on Late Night with David Letterman and featured on the cover of Time magazine. Get out. No, I will not. Fair enough. I mean, you live here. You can stay. So, as you can imagine, I I delved wholeheartedly into this book. Um, 
And I was very pleased with uh, a lot of the really great things that uh, George Washington lived by. You know, I actually, I played dumb a little bit before. I've actually heard of this before um, because uh, Nick Offerman talks about uh, George Washington in his book Gumption. Mm. Um, has a whole big section on it and he talks about some of George Washington's like rules to live by or the things that he copied down. Okay, right, okay. wait, explain that to me. Well, so um, it was a school exercise that uh, he did sometime before the age of 16 because he really didn't um, go to school much after that. Most um, people didn't, right? Right. Well, I mean, actually, some people did. If you were If you were poor, you didn't. But, but it's not like today where it's like, you got to go to college. Right. I mean, if you had the money, you could go to college. You know, like Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr. They had money at that point, so they went to college. Got it. Um, so it's a, a document that was uh, often copied by school children. Um, and it's from a book of etiquette called Youth's Behavior or Decency in Conversation Amongst Men which is by Francis Hawkins, who, is, um, who, who translated these rules from a set of behavior rules by French Jesuits. Gotcha. So it's a, it's a copy of a copy of a copy. <laughs> but, I mean, that's not... Uh, that sounds weird when you lay it out like that, but, like, the idea of, like, somebody copying down a translation of a thing and then being credited with it, it's not... Especially when you look back in time or it's like, well, it got famous because this person copied it. It's not uncommon to have it credited to the person who copied it rather than the person who wrote it. Like, say, the King James Bible. I Uh-huh. That's true. Um, so just because he only copied them down doesn't mean that he didn't believe in them. And I hope that all of my, my little excerpts that I'm going to read you will prove to you that he did absolutely believe and, and follow these rules throughout his lifetime. So, let's start at the beginning of George Washington's life. A very good place to start. He was born in Virginia. He was seven feet tall, straight <laughs> out the womb. No. <laughs> a mountain of a man he was. I mean, I don't... I, I didn't find out exactly how tall he was. Was Seven he really tall? feet. I don't know. I don't, I don't think he was quite that tall. Well, he falls under this category for me of like mythical real people. Um, so if you told me that he was like seven foot three, I'd be like, yes, mm. that is correct. I, I'm not quite sure how tall he was. He weighed a ton. No, if no. the song I'm, is correct. I'm certain that he didn't weigh a ton. The size of a truck he was. He was a robot in human form. Anyway, born in Virginia on February 22nd, 1732, and his family moved around a little bit. Um, they moved up to Little Hunting Creek Plantation, which would later be called Mount Vernon. I've heard of it, yes. Yes, and but they moved away from there. A few years later, to Ferry Farm, which is near Fredericksburg, Virginia. Where they grow fairies. No. But that is where he spent most of his youth. So they kind of settled there for a while. How about you tell me a little bit about George Washington's youth? What are he some... chopped down a cherry Aha. tree. And then he didn't lie about it because he's a good boy. Right. That story and amongst others, uh, were populated by a one of his first biographers, Mason Locke Weems. Um, but he, he probably didn't do those things 
I mean, there's really no way to know. So you're telling me he did chop down a cherry tree, but he totes lied about it. No. George, you chopped this down? What? No. 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 It was Thomas Jefferson, my friend. It was probably made up to really demonstrate a lot of the amiable qualities that George Washington had. Um, You know, honesty, piety, and physical strength, which you mentioned earlier. Um, He was a mountain of a man. (laughs) A living flesh mountain. You're going to have to maybe link that song. Oh, yeah, the Washington. Well, it's not safe for work, but I will still. Maybe maybe we'll post it and label it adequately. Um, another one of those such fables is that George Washington threw a silver dollar across the Potomac. Pro- probably not. He probably didn't. Probably didn't do that. Um, well, no. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> like, I believe that if a human being is physically capable of chopping down a cherry tree and not lying about it. Yes, that one I can believe. He flung a piece of metal, what? A hundred feet, a hundred yards? How wide's the Potomac? Okay, well, I mean, yes, the Potomac is quite wide. Unless he skipped it. But he may have, according to his step-grandson, he may have thrown a silver plate across the Rappahannock River in Fredericksburg, which is much narrower, and that might be where the story came from. Okay. I, I expected you to be a little more indignant about this. Well, but that's the thing. It's like he threw a coin over a river. No, he didn't. <laughs> and also, what would that go to? I guess that goes to show his ability to throw coins. But unless we're playing Assassin's Creed, I don't know how that helps you. In it, for those of you who don't know, in Assassin's Creed, you throw coins as a distraction because all the uh, people around you then flock to try to. It's not important. Doesn't matter. It's just a weird video game reference that I'm not sure if it landed or not. Okay, back to the show. So when George was 11 years old, his father died. Um, so then George had to care for his mother and his four younger siblings. And he actually continued to help support his mother until the day she died. Which I think is is amiable as well. And she died in March 1972, if I remember correctly. No, no. She actually died shortly after his first inauguration in 1789. Oh. That's really nice, though. She died knowing that her son had become president of the United States. Pretty great. Pretty great. So on to his education, which we talked about a little bit earlier. Um, He probably had private tutors or went to local private schools. Um, So at this time, in general, people would go to school from about 11 to 16 and learn basic stuff like reading, writing, and arithmetic. (laughs) Yes, the three R's. (laughs) It was very cute. You guys, I wish you could have seen that little dry take he gave me when well, I well because you got excited joke. that you didn't mean to say reading, writing, arithmetic, but then you did, and you were very pleased with yourself. It was adorable. Um, another thing that they probably would have learned at school would be bookkeeping and surveying, which would come in quite handy for our young. Uh, George Washington. You mean surveying like land surveying, not like getting a bunch of people's opinions at the same time, right? Yes, yes. So after his school days were done, George wanted to join the British Navy, but his mother wouldn't let him. So, like I said, he decided to become a surveyor. 
Why didn't she? Was she afraid of sea monsters? You know, I'm not exactly certain. I bet that was it. I bet it was sea monsters. Sea monsters? Mm -hmm. Mm. I get it. I've seen Pirates of the Caribbean nine times in theaters. I know about sea monsters. Instead, he accompanied family friend George William Fairfax and became a surveyor. Uh, to explore the unsurveyed wilderness of the Virginia frontier. Yeah, this was a much different time, because I think when I think of land surveyors now, I picture those people who, like, stand in the medians of highways with, like, the things on tripods, and they look through them, and they have, you know, like, ropey, stringy, measuring tape things that they roll out. But this was like, hey, we literally don't know what's on the other side of that mountain. Could you please go look and draw it for us? Thank you very much. Exactly. So he, uh, through his his work with him, George Fairfax, um, he secured an appointment as a county surveyor and created the frontier county of Culpeper. That's very fun. (laughs) I like that. Um, so through all this, he became pretty successful and was able to support his family um, and then bought a bunch of unclaimed land. That was kind of like the cool thing about being a surveyor. You would. You found all the good land. You would find the good land and you would buy it up. Um, he did actually uh, get conscripted into the army. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I think eventually he did serve if, I, if, memory, yes. if memory is correct. Yes, he did. Um, And he served bravely in the uh, French and Indian War, but actually suffered numerous defeats. Uh, It's referenced in Hamilton, right? History has its eyes on you. He talks about, I I tell you what I wish I'd known when I was young and full of glory. You have no control who lives, who dies, who tells your story. Anyways, back to the story. Well, Teresa, you're telling his story right now. It's happening. This is our Hamilton, except it's about George Washington. Yes. I think it's interesting that um, George Washington's enslaved manservant named Billy Lee um, entered the war at Washington's side and stayed with him throughout the Revolutionary War. So we've skipped up from the French and Indian War up to the Revolutionary War. Um, That's interesting. I think that... It's little, and we don't have to delve into it too much, but it's a thing that I think people forget about history a lot. It's like Washington was from Virginia. Washington was a Southern dude. Yeah. You know, by by the standards of the time, he was a Southerner. Um, I know now Virginia is not seen as the most Southern state, but he had slaves. He and Jefferson, both. Like a lot of people that we think of as like these very, you know, good, equal rights for man kind of people. They also had slaves. Right. And um, Billy Lee was actually widely known as a very courageous man and an expert horseman. Um, Speaking of his slaves, um, Martha, who he married in 1759, um, who actually brought her children from a previous marriage into the marriage. um, Washington didn't have any kids of his own. No, he didn't. Yep, just stepchildren. Um, But she brought all of her own slaves, which unfortunately... When he uh, wrote in his will that he wanted to free his slaves, he unfortunately legally could not free the slaves that brought that Martha brought with her um, because those were called dower slaves or their inherited slaves. Um, and it was actually kind of sad for the whole freeing of the slaves thing because the two groups had kind of intermarried. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a little bittersweet that some of the 
the families could be half free. You know what I mean? All right. At the time of the Revolutionary War, George wrote home to Martha that he expected that he would return in the fall. You know what? I think that's a good place for a bit of a cliffhanger. Who knows how the Revolutionary War is going to turn out? But first, a word from some other Max Fun shows. This week in the Jumbotron, uh, we have a message, and we would like to encourage you to visit songsaladpodcast.com or simply search Song Salad in the podcasting app of your choice to subscribe. Now, Teresa, what is Song Salad? So uh, hosts Shannon and Scott, um, they are professionals and best friends. They write an insane new song every week about a random topic from Wikipedia. I think that's awesome. Uh, So past songs include a metal song about the fjords of Greenland and a Portuguese folk song about indigenous sea sponges of Venezuela. This looks like a great opportunity to learn about music and a little about whatever else and, you know, in a funny way. So laugh along with them as they spin the salad spinner every Monday. Go to Song Salad Podcast. That's S-O-N-G. S-A-L-A-D podcast.com or search Song Salad in a podcasting app of your choice to subscribe. If you would like us to do a message about your podcast or website or business, or if you would like to just wish someone a happy birthday or tell them that you love them or happy Valentine's Day or whatever you'd like to do, you can go to MaximumFun.org forward slash Jumbotron and hear your message on the show. My name is Patrick. My name is Ariel. My name is Joe Coglin. The first time I uh, went to MaxFunCon, I didn't know anyone. I was really uh, nervous about that. Everyone said not to worry about going alone, that I'd make friends right away, that I'd have an amazing time. It turns out everyone was right. I instantly had 200 new friends. I've made lifelong friends at MaxFunCon that I'm going to keep in touch with for the rest of my life. If you aren't sure if you belong at MaxFunCon, you belong. Don't be like me. Don't waste two years being too nervous. Just go already. Join Ariel, Patrick, and Joe at MaxFunCon. Tickets for MaxFunCon and MaxFunCon East are on sale now at MaxFunCon.com. I'm Allegra Ringo. And I'm Renee Colbert. And we host a podcast called Can I Pet Your Dog? Renee, can I tell you about a dog I met this week? Uh, I wish that you would. In turn, though, can I tell you about a dog hero? May I tell you about a dog breed in a segment I like to call Mutt Minute? (laughs) I would love that. Could we maybe talk about some dog tech? Could we have some cool guests on, like Lin-Manuel Miranda, Nicole Byer, and Ann Wheaton? I mean... Yeah, absolutely. I'm in. You're on board. What do you say we uh, we do all of this and put it into a podcast? Yeah, okay. You think? All right. Uh, should we call it like I don't know? Can I pet your dog? Sure. All right. Uh, what do you What do you say we put it on every Tuesday on Maximum Fun or on iTunes? Sounds the- good to me. <laughs> Meeting's over. All right. So when last we left off, the Revolutionary War had just begun and it was already heading towards an ending. Right. Right. In June 1775, he was commissioned to take command of the Continental Army, and he thought that he would return in the fall, or what he, that's what he wrote to Martha. He did not return to Mount Vernon for eight years. Boom! Whoops! A little bit of a miscalculation on that estimate. Yes. But while he was uh, head of the Continental Army, a great many wonderful things were said about his command. 
A Frenchman who met him during this time said of him, I have never seen anyone who was more naturally and spontaneously polite. Excellent. And at the same time, another admirer, French admirer, is quoted as saying, his manners are those of one perfectly accustomed to society. Quite a rare thing in America. And another man said, it was weird to me that his skin was made of metal. You keep referencing that song. Some of this I'm just making up off the top of my head. I think the metal skin thing is something out of my, out of my brain. But wouldn't that be cool if Washington were a robot man? I'm just saying. I suppose so. I mean, just picture. Listen, there's a lot of like Abraham Lincoln vampire hunter. And he's like, what if you made a movie called George Washington, America's first robot? Well, I think that he would have looked a lot differently if he was a robot. But instead, he has said another Frenchman. So many, so many of those lovely Frenchmen helped us out during that Revolutionary War said of his first impression, I could not keep my eyes from that imposing countenance, grave yet not severe, affable without familiarity. Its predominant expression was calm dignity. So I don't think he would have looked as calm if he was a robot. Well, robots don't show a lot of emotion, but we can get into that in our robot manners episode. So here's my question for you, honey. This revolutionary war you speak of, did he win? He did. Oh, good. <laughs> I was worried. To the world's amazement, he prevailed over a more numerous, better supplied, and fully trained British army. Army. And a lot of that's due to uh, creative guerrilla tactics, if, if I am to understand the little bit of history that I can remember. Well, let's say that he was more flexible in his fighting style. Yeah. yeah listen. I'm sure that he was a really amazing commander, a really great general. I don't know. It's I mean, it's easy for me to say this now, but I don't know how creative a military mind it takes to think maybe just like all lining up and marching in a solid chunk towards people with guns. Maybe there's a better way than that. We'll see. Let's like try it. Like I said, it. flexible. Yeah. He was flexible. I, I really think one of the things that I, I read was... He was really good at trying to see the big picture. He wasn't hung up on, like, winning little things here and there. It was about very strategic winning Mm -hmm. instead of, you know, just racking up the points. There were some battles that were more pivotal and more important than others where you didn't want to lose supply lines or ports and that kind of thing. It was more important to win those than some random battle in a field taking place for no reason. Right. And I mean, we probably don't have many records of the random battles, but but there are records of him. I don't want to say losing on purpose, but I want to say not caring so much about specific battles. And strategic caring. retreats. Yeah, strategic retreats. All right. In keeping with his noble aesthetic on December 23rd, 1783, he presented himself before Congress and resigned his commission. He was a son of Cincinnatus. Aha, that's exactly it. Oh, yay, I got one right. (laughs) He very much admired uh, that hero of classical antiquity. Um, And so that was one of the things that he's most admired for in his life is he didn't want to, um, you know, assume power and become king. Um, So he went home to Mount Vernon and he was like, never again. I'm just going to stay here. Mount Vernon, my my plantation home. We all know that didn't happen. What? Just a few years later, in 1787, 
Washington ended his self-imposed retirement and traveled to Philadelphia to convene the Constitutional Convention. Do you know who else was in the Sons of Cincinnati? Who? Alexander Hamilton. Hey. Yeah. I'm just I I have a deep fascination with the Sons of Cincinnati. Although I think the last time we talked about the Sons of Cincinnati, I said that Cincinnati uh, was Greek, but Cincinnati was actually Roman. I might have to just do a whole episode on the Sons of Cincinnati just to just to educate myself. Cool. I'm game. Cool. So he pre- presided over the Continental Convention um, because he was really determined to make a government. Uh, that had real energy and authority. After the Constitution was approved, he was like, let's retire again. But do you know what happens next? They make him president. They do. The first presidential election was held and he received a vote from every elector. He remains the only president in American history to be elected by unanimous voice of the people. Until 2020. Vote Travis McElroy. (laughs) So, then, the okay, do you have anything there about wooden teeth? I mean, no. Here's Okay, here's the couple things I know. One, he probably didn't have wooden teeth. They were probably, uh, I think he had different sets. One was ivory, and one was actually made from human teeth. Um, but one of the things... Which was like what teeth were made of back then. Yes, Um one of the things I do know, though, is if you see, like, his presidential portrait, he has a very grim look on his face. Um, and that is most likely due to, one, either intense tooth pain, because the dude had rotten chompers, or the way that they made dentures then. They were, like, spring-loaded. And it was, the tension was in keeping them closed. Or, sorry, the, the tension was keeping them open. Right. So you had to keep your jaw locked to keep your mouth from being open all the time. So, like, he would have to clench his teeth so that his dentures didn't spring open. So he had kind of a grim look whenever his mouth was closed because he was keeping his dentures closed. Makes sense. Um, But regarding the presidency, uh, it is said that he always preferred Mr. President, although the official form of address was... His Highness, the President of the United States of America and Protector of their Liberties. That that's what was uh what was favored by the Senate. I'll take it. I like that. You like that one instead mm-hmm. of Mr. President? Oh, his okay. He has dentures he had dentures comprised uh are made of ivory, gold, lead, uh, but wood was never used. Thanks for that, honey. Well, I'm, this is this shows all about accuracy, darling. <laughs> when he delivered uh, his first inaugural address in 1789, he had only one sing, single remaining natural tooth. Wow. Yeah. It is said of George Washington's uh, first presidential run that he administered government with fairness and integrity assuring Americans that the president could exercise extensive executive authority without corruption. Um, Thomas Jefferson said that his integrity was most pure, his justice most inflexible, uh, no motive of interest or consanuity, friendship or hatred, is able to bias his decision. So he was That's a, pretty great. He was a good dude. He was a good dude. Okay. 
So we've talked a lot about his presidency. Let's go back to these rules of civility and how they influenced a lot of his professional life. Okay. Here is rule number 73. Think before you speak. Pronounce not imperfectly, nor bring out your words too hastily, but orderly and distinctly. So he was considered a thoughtful and careful, careful speaker and is said of him that in conversation, he looks you full in the face, is deliberate, definitive, and engaging. His voice is agreeable rather than strong, and his demeanor at all times composed and dignified. Okay. Yeah. That sounds pretty presidential to me. Think uh, before you speak. Absolutely. And so his public speeches, his inaugural uh, addresses, um, his... I, I, did they have the State of the Union at that point? Probably. Probably. Um, were hailed for his outstanding oratorical, oratorical skills, but it was simple and sincere. Um, it is said that his first inaugural address brought tears to the eyes of his listeners, confirming the entrancing spell of their leader's inspiring speaking ability. It was probably written by Alexander Hamilton, too. You think so? Probably. He wrote a lot of them speeches for George Washington. The um, the Constitution says that the president shall from time to time give uh, blah, 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 the, the State of the Union. And George Washington started the tradition of delivering an annual presidential speech to Congress. So, yes, George Washington did start the State of the Union. Awesome. So we've seen or we've talked about how um, how great of a president George Washington was. But he was also a fantastic Man and host. Okay. Number 93. Entertaining anyone at table, it is decent to present him with meat. Undertake not to help others undesired by the master. Wait, one more time. It's decent to present someone with meat. Number 93. Entertaining anyone at table, it is decent to present him with meat. Undertake not to help others undesired by ye master. I think that maybe the second half is something else. Okay. So, offer of meat. Cool. Yep. Listen, I, I am not a vegan, nor a vegetarian, nor a pescatarian, nor anytarian. And so, I'm a big fan of meat. Um, and I get this. I, I, I think we could maybe translate that in the modern day to offer them the best you have to offer. Offer them, you know, like that idea of like give them the the best thing you got don't hold back as far as like the good food goes mm-hmm. um i have a have a, a dinner menu served ooh. in 1799 at mount vernon uh, a meal consisting of leg of boiled beef mutton chops hominy cabbage potatoes pickles field tripe onions minced pies tarts cheese nuts Apples and raisins. That was the appetizers. And then what was the main <laughs> course? Uh, no, that, that, was the, that was the whole Oh, thing. okay. Great, great, great. Gotcha, right, gotcha, gotcha. Right, right, right. Um, their dinner guests often called them their dinners warm and gracious. So that's a pretty good meal. I tell you, I know that George Washington was a good president, but it makes me so happy to hear reports of like, and he was also a nice guy and fun to party with. I like that. That makes me happy. And yet his table manners were impeccable because 
Number 97. Put not another bite into your mouth until the former be swallowed. Let not your morsels be too big for the jowls. <laughs> That's fun. I like that. Here, here are a couple very much pertaining to dinner. Number 95. Put not your meat into your mouth with your knife in your hand. Neither spit forth the stones of any fruit pie upon a dish, nor cast anything under the table. Yeah. Yeah. These are good rules. These are good rules. One last one. Number 98. Drink not nor talk with your mouth full. Neither gaze about you while you are a-drinking. I, okay. Mouthful, you got me. That's the thing. You know, don't talk with your mouthful. I like this idea of, like, when you're drinking, not, like, <laughs> looking around the table. <laughs> Just look down into your cup. Don't make eye contact with anyone. I like that. Because it is weird. If you're drinking and you make eye contact with someone, it is weird. I'll give them that. They hosted many dinners at their estate. And um, they had a lot of guests throughout the years. It was almost like kind of a, a tavern atmosphere. Um, <clears throat> rule number 109, let your recreations be manful, not sinful. So they offered a lot of recreations to their guests, like uh, strolling through the pleasure garden, or which is not sinful. That's not a sinful no, euphemism. No, no, no. Okay. No, <laughs> or bowling on the green, or bagos, and well, maybe I don't know. Maybe. How old are bagos? How old are bagos? How old is cornhole? Um, and guests at Washington Washington's home, Mount Vernon, were encouraged to stay as long as they liked. Forever. I mean, was it like Hotel California? As as long as as they liked. Okay, this sounds both welcoming and simultaneously like The Shining. You've always been at Mount Vernon. <laughs> One of the other many recreations that they offered at Mount Vernon were balls and dances. Mm -hmm. uh, he was actually known as a very energetic and excellent dancer. Really. Um, there are many no, I've seen Hamilton. I know that. <laughs> there are many She's accounts got moves. of him dancing throughout the night with an array of his female guests. Interesting. That's that's pretty cool. You know, but also once again, not that surprising because you think about the time frame and like once again, Southern. You know, lots of balls, lots of dances. Growing up. You go to cotillions, you go to these things, you're like, you know, training and dancing was a thing that you did. It wasn't like, I like to go out to clubs and dance. It was like a thing that you did for social reasons and to, you know, rise up ranks and stuff. Exactly. So it shouldn't be that surprising that George Washington knew how to dance. I do like, though, that him being described as energetic. That makes me, that makes me smile. Because I just picture, yeah, he was a good dancer, but that dude was like all over the place. He was jumping on tables and stuff, but he did it well. He was so good at it, but he could dance all night long. He was a dancing machine. I mentioned earlier his marriage to Martha, and mm -hmm. it was considered a love match. Um, they wrote... You mean as opposed to like a marriage of convenience? Not exactly. Like in the parlance of like The Bachelor. It was a love match. As opposed to marrying for convenience or, or money, gotcha. usually. Um, and they... George and Martha, they wrote co like constant letters back and forth to each other, although only two of them survive. 
Really? Yes. The other ones were just too hot to handle. I had to burn them up. Well, I think that the both of them conscribe to rule number 71. What you may speak in secret to your friend, deliver not before others. It's very good. Um, to that letter, Mar- Martha burned all but two of these letters. Um, so because I think that she was aware that future generations would want to read them. And to keep them private, she burned them. You know, on the one hand, I sit there and I think that's a shame because I bet there was a lot we could learn about their lives and about the time and about the history from those letters. But then I also think about in this day and age, what kind of interactions like you and I have where it's like, oh, man, my stomach really hurts. I've been to the bathroom like eight times today. And I wouldn't want to read that. (laughs) I wouldn't want to know like, yeah, the day before the inauguration, George Washington was so sick and just kept rushing back to the bathroom like, oh, okay. Well, I mean, I (laughs) guess that's an interesting factoid, but uh, um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's always interesting. It's, I think, one of the reasons that people seem so drawn to stuff like 1776 and, you know, Hamilton and biographies of founding fathers, because we think of these people as these very mythical, larger than life characters, but then they also like danced. Exactly. They they were real people. And a lot of legend has been built up around them. But the deeper that you delve into what their lives were actually like, you go to realize that they were just men. Yeah, they were human beings. Um, So thank you for joining us, and thank you to whoever sent the book. Please let us know so we can thank you officially in the next episode. Um, Sometimes, you know, there's not names included with everything, and we get a little bit lost on it. But um, it was a very good read and a very fun episode. Thank you, my darling, for doing all the research and whatnot. Um, We want to say go check out all the other amazing shows on MaximumFun.org. There's a bunch of incredible shows on there. You're going to find one that you love. Uh, Also, wanted to let, if you didn't, See it. Wanted to let you know that we put up um, my brother, my brother, and me. We got interviewed by Uprox, um, and we released uh, a preview, a trailer for the upcoming television show. It's got a bunch of clips, a bunch of bits, a bunch of goose, and I'm very proud of it. And people seem to really like it. Uh, we tweeted that out, but you can also, I imagine, just Google like Uprox, my brother, my brother, and me. CISO preview trailer and, and find this out. cut of the trailer does have one bad word, right? But I believe it's bleeped out. Okay. Yes. Um, we we're very careful, so you should be able to listen to it. Um, let's see. What else? What else? What else? Oh, if you're in the Cincinnati area, um, another show that I do, not on Max Fun, but another podcast I do with my friend Tybee, where we talk about all the things in the world and in our lives that are frustrating us, called Interrobang with Travis and Tybee. We're doing a live show here in Cincinnati on February 25th. Um, it's going to be $12. You can get your tickets at the door. It's at the No Underground, uh, the No Theater here in Cincinnati. Uh, $12, $1 from every ticket is going to go to support the ACLU. Um, if you would like to buy your tickets in advance and don't want to buy them at the door, um, you, you know, tweet at me, let me know and, and we'll figure it out. We'll get you on a list and work out like a PayPal deal or something. Um, but we prefer you buy them at the door. It's just easier that way. Um, what else, Teresa? What am I not thinking of? Thank yous. Oh, yes. Uh, we want to say thank you to Brent, Brental Floss Black, who did our intro and outro music for us, which is available as a ringtone 
on iTunes through your Apple device, and I think also through maybe Android, but I definitely know ringtones available through iTunes. Um, and thank you to uh, Letitia Baldridge. Letitia Baldridge That's for, right. for the book. Um, oh, you can follow us on Facebook. Just search Schmanners and join the group. You can follow us on Twitter at SchmannersCast, S-H-M-A-N-N-E-R-S-C-A-S-T. Um, let's see. No, I think that's everything. So, uh, join us again next week. No RSVP required. You've been listening to Schmanners. Manners, Schmanners. Get it? MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.